I think the biggest thing for me was to be able to have that kind of relationship with my father was I had to learn how to have empathy for my dad. And it's very, very difficult to do because the person you want to teach you to have empathy is your parent and they can't really say, Hey, could you have empathy for me? You know, it doesn't really fly when you're 10 or it doesn't really fly when you're 18 or it doesn't really fly when you're 25. And but so you have to figure that out. How do I have empathy? You know, my dad had a rough childhood. Podcast Junkies, episode 321. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. If you are new, brand new to this show, first time listening, then I really want to give you a virtual hug. I'm so happy you found this, whether it's because of last week's guest or this week's guest, or you stumbled onto it, or you recognize something about the topic that piqued your interest. However you found this show, I would love to hear about it. So if you want to share it, I always am fascinated by the different paths people take to listen to podcasts. Harry at podcastjunkies.com if that's the case. If you are a regular listener, our listeners are growing with some of these recent episodes. They're really resonating with people and really hitting an emotional note, an emotional chord, whatever the appropriate phrase is. And I think that's a function of me being more conscious about the types of folks I have on, the types of conversations I have, what I'm talking about, how deep we're getting. And I continuously have people listening, finding the show, and then either suggesting to come on themselves because they're a podcaster or recommending that I reach out to someone and and interview them. And I think these referrals and these recommendations just make for a great combination when it comes to guests and hosts and people excited to come on, people I'm excited to talk to. And that just makes for a powerful conversation that I hope you're getting value from as well. So Thank you so much, whether it's episode one or you've just been listening to the past couple. I really appreciate you listening and also sharing the word because I know a lot of you are sharing episodes with friends because you're finding them valuable. Last week, I probably gave a bit of you a scare about all the dangers of cybersecurity related to personal information. And I had on Jack Resider. He's the host of Darknet Diaries. He's a fascinating guy. And as you can imagine, because of the nature of what he talks about and what he covers on the show, That's the reason there was no cover art with his photo because there are none online. And I think it's fascinating and I'm gonna be diving deeper into this for my own stuff. I had a wild, not scare, but just a weird moment. I was looking for some work with a Shopify site that I'm working on for a separate project. And I put the call out, I think on Twitter and on LinkedIn. I said, does anyone in my network know anyone that understands Shopify and can help me? The craziest thing happened, I started getting text messages and emails to my personal email. It's so wild that this happened right after my conversation with Jack. And it just goes to show you that uh, how much information is out there. It turns out there's a lot of my information, personal information, my phone number and my email on Google directory. So I'm going to be digging into that and figuring out a way to remove as much as possible to the extent that I can, but it was pretty wild. So if you have not checked that out, it's the last episode, episode 320. This episode, I speak to Roger Williams. He's a seasoned podcaster, and he's going to share not only his voyage from Indianapolis to Seattle, where he currently calls home, but also his journey to the creation and the success of the Crossing It Off podcast. You're going to be really moved by his transformative journey of self-discovery through this idea of exploring your bucket list items, and then his subsequent pursuit of joy through maintaining what he basically calls his bucket list lifestyle, which is great. And it really got me thinking about things that are on my bucket list. And I think you'll be doing the same after you hear this episode. 
as you know, with these conversations, they can go anywhere. And we opened up an opportunity to him sharing a story about his father and his connection with his father. And that shed light on the importance of nurturing relationships, especially within your family. It really resonated with me as I had a similar experience with my dad because of the conference and the men's retreat that I went on a couple of uh, weeks ago, probably like a month or two ago, which I've mentioned briefly here, I had the inspiration to do the same thing with my father. So in a recent trip home, I asked him to talk to me in Spanish. And I said, tell me the story about how I got to this country, which opened up a whole another path of things he talked about related to him growing up. And I didn't get to know my grandfather at all. He passed away. And my father really didn't get to know him that much. And so a lot of the generational trauma came through as I was sitting at that counter. And so all that full circle to say when Roger shared his story, it really resonated with me. I think you're going to really love that. He also shares his experience with youth development, the power of curiosity, and all the dialogues that he's had on the podcast that have shaped his life journey. So I'm really looking forward to sharing this really inspiring. And I think you'll come up out of it with a revisit to your bucket list as well. If you have been enjoying this episode by the time you get to the end of it, obviously, if you haven't listened to it already, or if you're enjoying past episodes, I would love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast junkies. I'll be sure to read those out on a future episode. Okay, before we get into this fantastic conversation with Roger, here are a few words from the folks that support this show. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlet 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite and the link will be in the show notes as well. So Roger Williams, host of the Crossing It Off podcast, thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies. Hey, Harry. Thank you so much for having me. So where's home for you? Where are you? I say dialing in, but I'm probably aging, I'm aging myself <laughs> with that reference, I guess, uh, calling in from. <laughs> yeah, I am in the Seattle, Washington area. Okay. Put it that way. And uh, have you always been there? or? No, I've lived several different places, but hometown is Indianapolis, Indiana. Okay. How'd you end up in, in the Seattle area? I got a divorce and my youngest decided that he wanted to come out here to go to college. And I said, okay, I will go with you and we'll cut some costs and, and uh, we will hang out and be together and I'll sport. And yeah, so I just took a leap and said, hey, probably someplace I've wanted to go, never been, and decided that I would uproot myself and move out here. How would you describe the experience of living there? Seattle area is different, you know, especially coming from the Midwest, you know, social politically, it's, it's a lot different, which is good for me <laughs> in that sense. But there's also this thing they call the Seattle freeze, which is this cultural thing where it takes a long time for people to warm up to you if you're from out of town. Oh, interesting. So it's been here seven years. And finally, kind of starting to feel like I fit in. <laughs> I live with my life partner, and she accepted me pretty quickly, so that's good. We've been together about five years, so oh, very cool. Yeah, so you know, it has its ups and downs. I love being next to the water and the mountains at the same time. That's a fantastic thing, and I love it here. I love being in the mountains, and I love the type of people that live out here. And yeah, it's been it's been a good time. 
Yeah, I was recently out there. We were just briefly chatting before we started recording. I was out there for a, a men's retreat, and it was in Brennan, which is a little further west from Seattle. It's actually a two-hour drive. As the crow flies, it's probably 30 minutes, but because yes. <laughs> you're tra traversing all of these waterways, which is no complaints at all. I picked up uh, one of the, the attendees in Seattle with another guy that met us there. So three of us drove from Seattle to the event, and it was just spectacular. The trees, that lots of big tree energy, lots of waterways and stuff like that. So was, I really loved the vibe of the energy. And I, got to, I did get to spend a day in Seattle, which I hadn't been. So I definitely love the vibe. Fresh, fresh seafood, which is always a plus. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love how green it is. They call it the evergreen, the evergreen state for a reason, which is fantastic. And I lived in, I lived in San Diego for a couple of years and that's ever brown. So being an evergreen is, it's a great uh, contrast. And we got, according to one of the guys that attended with me, Stefan, uh, he, we got uh, what he said was unusually nice weather it was sunny and about uh 60 to 80 the three days we were there and he said that never happens <laughs> usually it's gray usually it's raining overcast yeah. yeah he's a local right yeah he's a local yeah, yeah. see it's a big lie right it's this <laughs> huge conspiracy from locals to tell everybody that seattle weather is just absolutely horrible to keep everybody from moving out here but once you get out here you find <laughs> out oh this is pretty nice you know yeah 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 and so it was a great experience. It was, uh, I mentioned it, I think on the show, I've, I've dropped hints to what I was doing. So it was, it was a really great experience for, it's a group called Sacred Sons, which I connected with. So that was a really great experience for me. So with you and I, as far as us crossing paths, you mentioned that we connected via an email that you had sent over, which I appreciate you being a listener of the show, but maybe talk a little bit about how you found this show and, and what your experience has been with it so far. I'm always curious. It's always fascinates me how, how people listen, when and if, and so I'm always, I want to know as much as possible. <laughs> so another podcaster friend of mine, uh, Kate Kinchella. Kate Cherincello. Yeah, Kate Cherincello was on the show, so that's how I found it. I started listening because she was a guest, and... So it's, it was just enjoyable for me. I love how conversational you are. It's not necessarily with my show. It's like, okay, we've got an agenda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so to be here with you and not have an agenda, that's kind of the way I felt when I listened to your shows is that, okay, we're just going to hang out and talk and that that's okay. I also love the fact that you kind of give you, I think you give yourself some room as far as your drop schedule that you're not pressured. You know, I dropped twice a week, <laughs> two episodes a week. So, you know, 104 episodes a year and, it, and it's, I don't have time to <laughs> take, to do a whole lot of research on my guests and prepare for, you know, hanging out with them and being able to ask all the, the really good questions. So I like how you have that ability uh, with your drop schedule to kind of be more casual about it. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, and what I love about this format is that it's a, a podcast about podcasting and the world of podcasters and all the things that happen behind the microphone, the good, the bad, the ups and the downs, <laughs> the perfect and the mostly imperfect stuff that happens that people don't tend to see depending how tight people are with the quality and, and making sure what they're showing is the front facing experience for their listeners. And I've gone back and forth over the years. I started in 2014. I wanted to learn about podcasting. So I figured the best ways to interview podcasters, you know, I, I was a fan and I studied acting. So I was a fan of that uh, show inside the actor studio. And I was like, kind of that vibe. Just sure. like, <laughs> let's get folks to kick back their heels and chat about what's on their minds. And as far as the, the, 
just the posting frequency, you know, sometimes I'm consistent and it's every Friday going out. Sometimes it's a Thursday. Sometimes it's two or three weeks because I'm traveling and I've tried not to beat myself up about it. And I think it gives me some flexibility. I don't want to go too far because out of sight, out of mind, you know, people have got a limited queue of podcasts that they listen to consistently and you never want to make them seem like you're not publishing because <laughs> <laughs> podcast listeners are pretty uh, finicky and fickle. I don't know what the right word there is, but it just in, in terms of like you deciding, okay, like, let's see, should I be listening to someone else? And should I be experimenting with another podcast? And <laughs> always things you worry about. Yeah, I actually have two shows. And so my main show is the, the Crossing It Off podcast, where I interview people that have crossed things off their bucket list. But I have a second show that I started about five months ago with my partner, where we, it's just her and I, and we talk about what we've binge watched on TV. So a whole season, we'll do an episode on a whole season of whatever it is. We just and we drop once a month, but we drop like four or five episodes a month. Oh, wow. So that's been a real interesting process for us of saying, okay, well, yeah, we're going to, it's, it's a long tail game for us. Right. <laughs> so, so we've heard good things about people like, yeah, I'm a binge watcher of TV. So this works out real well for me. So I just binge your, binge your episodes, of your podcast and wait till the next one drops. They're very accustomed to that. So it kind of works. And at the same time, I'm sitting there going where I drop two episodes, you know, a week with my other show. It's like, is there enough content out there? What are we doing? Are we doing this right? You know? Yeah. So we're just going to give it time and see how it works. And I think that's the really great thing about podcasting is there is no set rules or set ways to do it. You know, I think there's some good practices that you can take on, but at the same time, however it is you see it fit to make it happen, you can make it happen. And I think part of that challenge as a podcaster is feeling like you have carte blanche to do whatever you want, but also realizing that at the end of the day, we do have three people in this conversation, you and I and the listener, and always remembering that we want to keep it engaging for them. We want them to be excited, entertained. They want them to laugh or, or you know, learn something new or be inspired or motivated, maybe shed a tear sometimes if, if, if we get, uh, depending how far we get in terms of, you know, getting personal. But I just love the fact that I just let it go where it, it wants to go and almost has a life of its own. And I'm curious for you how often you get a chance to talk about yourself in the context of being a podcaster. <laughs> so I'm doing it more and more. I think that when I first started, like you, I had no idea what this was. <laughs> like I had never listened to a podcast before I dropped my first episode. I had just never done it. And so for me, it was this huge learning curve that I had to deal with as far as you know, it's almost like that imposter syndrome, right? Like you, like you feel like, am I really doing this? Do I know what I'm doing? And now I'm at the point after 106 episodes of the Crossing Off podcast and 30 or so episodes of Call the Binge Wife, I'm now meeting podcasters and people are going, how do you do this? How do you do that? You know, and that's been fun for me to realize that I'm doing this. I am maybe not making a boatload of money, but I am a professional at this at some level. And so that's fun. That that transition from, oh my gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing to, oh, somebody wants my opinion. <laughs> and that's been joyful for me and affirming too, that I'm doing something right, at least that somebody says, hey, I know you've done X, Y, and Z. How'd you do that? And so that's rewarding as much as just doing the podcast is. That also has been rewarding. And I've started doing more 
interviews, being a guest on folk show, talking about podcasting, especially now that I have two shows that's a little unique and so, and they're very different. And so I'm getting a lot more traction as far as people wanting to say, okay, tell us what, tell us what you're doing. Which of those experiences is uh, one that's been memorable for you in terms of a show you've been on where you had a, a great conversation? Oh, the really weird one was I was on, not weird, but weird for me. I got approached to be on All Ears English. Okay. Are you familiar with that show? No, I'm not, no. It's this massive show that I think it's like 0.05% on Listen Notes. And they approached me to be on their show. And it's basically for English learners. That's what the show is designed for. And so I was like, well, okay, I'll try. And they really wanted me to break down crossing it off as an idiom and the bucket list as, as idioms and kind of explain that to our audience. What are these things? And so that was a lot of fun. And it was just super weird at the same time. <laughs> I think they she sent me an email two days or three days after the episode dropped. She goes, yeah, I just want to let you know your episode's been listened to 58,000 times. Like, <laughs> Who's the host? Know, her name is Michelle, I think. They have a couple of different hosts that, that go back and forth. And they, but yeah, they, they're just massive. And I had a huge spike in listeners after that, which has generated this whole international feel for the show. I have a lot of international guests. I like to reach out to folks that are from other places and hear their stories. But currently after 106 episodes, the show's been listened to in like 77 countries. My percentage of American listeners in total is only like 52%, which m most independent American podcasters, that number's in the high 80s, low 90s range. And here I am, you know, I'm getting close to having a thousand downloads in Japan right after a year and a half. So that's blown my mind. But at the same time, it's been a saving grace for me because like most initial podcasters, you know, you want, you go to your analytics every couple of days or every hour or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> Has it changed? Has it changed? Has it changed? And I caught myself doing that the first, you know, six, seven months. And I transferred that manicness to going to the analytics and looking at the global map first. Like, that's the one I want to know. Do I have a new country? <laughs> and I, I can't control that number. So I think that's a little bit of why I like going to it because it's like, okay, I really can't control if it happens. That's amazing. And where was it? You know, just thinking about, you know, somebody in Azerbaijan, somebody in Kazakhstan, you know, listens to the show. I recently had my 100th episode and I tried to do a whole bunch of marketing for the show to kind of promote it. And one of the things I did was I went through that analytic and looked at every single city where the show had been downloaded. Oh, wow. <laughs> I got a big map on my wall and I put push pins in every single city. It was like 611 cities, you know? So that's really exciting for me to know that I have a lot of room to grow. I had a friend challenge me on some stuff one time about podcasting and that I was doing. And I was like, look, I don't have to please everybody. I don't want to please everybody. I said, there's 8 billion people in the world. I just need to find about 100,000 of them. Like if I could find 100,000 <laughs> of them, I'd be set. You know, <laughs> that'd be a great audience to have. So, uh, you know, it's, it's fun to look at that map and see all the places around the world where folks have downloaded the episodes. And it kind of takes away from that constant worry about the actual download numbers. Yeah, I think for it's interesting because I've waxed and waned in terms of looking at 
the stats and then obviously in the beginning like you mentioned you're really like riveted by everything that's happening and what i've been leaning towards lately is just appreciating the fact that i have a platform and a stage and i can pick and choose who i have conversations with at the frequency i want as well and so i really like look forward to these conversations because they're they're people that reached out and you know looks i can just tell it's going to be an engaging conversation and it just makes my day brighter. And it just, it feels like, uh, you know, naturally as a podcaster, once people know you have a podcast, you start getting pitched like crazy. <laughs> so I've actually created a form letter already that says, hey, in case you haven't noticed, this is a podcast where I have to have a podcast first <laughs> if I'm going to speak to you. So, but I've great, I already have it built in. I think it's in Gmail as one of those auto replies. So I've kind of configured it already. I said, here's the show. Here's what it's about. Here's what we do. And you know, I always try to like, it's a way for me to practice my patience as well, because I'm always nice to them and just be like, clearly you, you've not done any research. <laughs> Your finance guru or tax prep specialist is, is prepping me to come on the show or something like that. Yeah. And that's the amazing thing that when you niche down, like you and I have with this thing, the people just don't get it. For some reason, people don't get it. So you have to have crossed an item off your bucket list to come on my show. So if <laughs> yeah. you haven't done that, I'm not changing my format so that you can come and hawk your business model or you can hawk your service. You know, if you have a, something else, if you jumped out of a plane or you've been to some weird country, sure, come on, let's go. Yeah, yeah. And I'll give you a chance to share <laughs> what you're into and promote your stuff at the end of the show. But you got to have that basis. And I run into it all the time with the fact that I don't. I try my best not to repeat the items people have crossed off. I want my listeners yeah, that makes sense. to have the most variety of things. But I'm constantly, hey, I wrote this book. Hey, I'm a life coach. Hey, I've got this system. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, yeah, I know. That's great. And it's like you. It's how do you be, you know, I really struggled with it in the beginning. How do you be nice yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> about it? And it's hard because you don't want to turn anybody away. But at the same time, it's like. You know, I'm not going to sacrifice this thing that I'm building, whether you understand it or not, so that you can hawk a product. And I love, I love, I love getting people that don't have anything to sell. Like that's my, oh, of course, those are my favorite interviews to do. And I edit all my episodes myself. So when I go back in those episodes, like they're almost perfect because I want to make them sound <laughs> absolutely stunning. I want them, you know, no ant, no us, no butts, no coughing that you know it's like i want to make sure they sound great so that when they share it with their family and friends because those are really potential listeners <laughs> to say okay you know this is something i may want to engage with where you're dealing with somebody that's selling a product you ask everybody yeah will you share this out to your people but at the same time how many you know like even for me i have to admit you know i've done 60 some podcast episodes for other people as a guest there's only so many times my following is going to want to hear my story. That's true, yeah. <laughs> you know? So many, there's only so many different ways you can tell that story. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's evolved some over the last year and a half. But at the same time, it's like, oh, my gosh, Roger's, you know, chilling his stuff again. <laughs> so, you know, I want them to be able to share it out with people that are excited about hearing their story. Because it may be somebody close to them that's never heard that story before. So I get excited when I have people that don't have anything to, to sell at the end of the episode. That makes a lot of sense. So talk a little bit about the journey, because you mentioned that you weren't listening to podcasts when you started. So normally that's how a lot of people get inspired to start a podcast. But you had, I think, some life experiences happen to you, which shifted your perspective, I think, in a way that inspired you to start the show. So I'm curious if you could tell that story. 
Yeah, it's easy to start in 2020. It was my 50th birthday year. Might as well. Yeah, awesome. So, so you know my pain. <laughs> yeah. So I had, like most Americans, you know, 95% of Americans would say they have a bucket list, but only 40% actually have one written down or doing anything about it. And I was in that 95%. I had all these things I thought eventually one day I'm going to do. And when my 50th birthday year approached, I was like, hey, I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to finish all 50 states and I'm going to go to the world championship of barbecue and I'm going to walk the Camino de Santiago. I'm going to do all these things. And then boom, two months into the year, you know, lockdown. And so that just caused me a lot of hardship of saying, oh, this is all ruined. You know, all these plans I had. I thought that we're going to be this make this amazing year that everybody be jealous about <laughs> just went away, like just vanished. And so I, you know, got a little depressed, started, you know, thinking about, you know, where do I find my self-worth? That became a big question for me. I have been in youth development and teaching for almost 30 years, and it's a great field. And I got a lot of accolades and I got a lot of self-worth from that. But at the end of the day, it's still a job, right? And not an easy one. Working with teenagers that come from low-income families and aren't college-bound, that's really where I spent my time working. And so I was really struggling with this issue of where do I find my self-worth and do I want to be like my parents and find it in my work, like who I sell my labor to and how I sell it to them. And at the end of 2020, I had a heart attack. And so that kind of propelled that conversation <laughs> forward into a major way. And I, you know, a couple months after getting out of the hospital, I went on social media and said, okay, I'm going to actually live my life to my bucket list. I want to find my joy in that and not find my self-worth in what I do and how I do it and to whom I sell my labor to. And so I went on all my social media accounts and I changed my job title to head cross offer of my bucket list. And didn't get much reaction, and that's fine. But I wanted to make that statement of, this is who I am. These things I want to do and these people that I want to do them with, that's really who I am. And it really boils down to asking that question, right? Every time you meet somebody new, I'm sure that this happened to you on your men's retreat. Maybe not so much, but but when you go out and you in an environment where you meet new people, the first question is, what do you do and you know, who do you work for? Right. And I wanted to be able to answer that question in a different way. I wanted to be able to say, I cross items off my bucket list. That's what I do. You know, my side gig is this other thing, teaching and (laughs) helping students. But my main focus is doing that. Yeah. And so something that I had on my bucket list, you know, when I went to go write it down finally and become a part of that 40 percent, the top of the list was to do the Camino de Santiago which if people don't know about it, it's a 500-mile trek across northern Spain. It takes like 32 days to accomplish. And I just knew being an Aquarius and, you know, kind of a scatterbrain that I had to do something like really big and accomplish something kind of major to be able to say, okay, anything else that I've decided to put on my list, I can do. And so in the middle of the pandemic, with Europe still closed, I bought airline tickets and made some arrangement, few arrangements, bought some equipment I didn't have, and I was <laughs> set to go. It was scary as all get out because every morning I'm waking up going, 
all right, is Spain going to open? Is Spain going to open? Is Spain going to open? And I think it was like, it was like 45 days before my plane left that, that Europe finally opened up and we could actually get permission to go. So that's awesome. So yeah, it was, it was a big deal for me. Uh, it's really crossed that off. I've been thinking about it for almost 11 years. And so it was something I'm like, okay, I, I gotta go do this. I gotta commit to finding my own joy. And so that's what I did. That resonates with me because that's on my list as well. So my partner, I've been talking about it seriously because it's on her list. So it, the Camino, the Camino. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I don't recommend it for everybody. I think that you do have to be kind of a special person, but if it's already on your list. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah we know what we're signing up for. and Yeah, you got to do it. Definitely that type of experience for that period of time is something that would definitely like be great for us. So I think we're just hopefully making that happen sooner rather than than later. And I'll probably want to pick your brain about <laughs> all the prep work you did for that because I'm the type of person that has a challenge with planning stuff. And, you know, you can just ask my ex as well because I was never a really good planner with the events and I struggle with it sometimes in my current relationship. And I think I get lost in the details. So sometimes there's so many details and so many moving parts and I'm just like, I get like deer in headlights kind of happening. So sometimes for me, it's it's figuring out old things that need to get done, but I have been to Burning Man for a week, and uh, that took a lot of prep as well. Because yeah, well, I think there's a big difference between Burning Man and the Camino because actually on the Camino, you can just show up and start walking, and you'll be totally fine. <laughs> you don't have to like have tons and tons of plans, but because it's very straightforward, we're all walking west, <laughs> we're all following the yellow arrows, <laughs> and when you get there, you get there. So it, it does make it a little bit easier to kind of go by the seat of your pants, so to speak. Probably most important choice is the, your, your footwear, I would imagine. <laughs> yes, and it's worth spending a couple hundred dollars to make that right. So obviously a lot of planning to get that done. It was something that you've had on your list for a while. Talk a little bit about what you felt when you got back from a sense of like accomplishment and this, you mentioned or alluded to it, this idea of, you know, well, if I did that, then like now everything, the world is opened up. And so how did that feel for you when you got back and, and in terms of like what was possible? So taking it back a step, I had started the podcast before I left. I had dropped two episodes Okay. And some of my intention was, oh, I'm going on this, you know, amazing journey for 32 days. And I'm going to meet lots of people that have a bucket list. So I'll just interview all these people on the Camino. And that got shoved down in like the first day and a half. Like I was just like, nope, this is my journey. And it's these people's journeys. And we don't have to inject this thing into that. And so I just kind of put it on the back burner. And reentry from the Camino, because it is such a different social and cultural experience than what you're used to in your regular life, that most people have, you know, re-entry problems. If you go to a foreign country and you spend a little bit of time and you come home, there's always kind of that reverse culture shock, right? Like you went without something for a long time and now you, you've got, you got it. I remember coming back from Thailand and seeing my first McDonald's and being like, ooh, that's <laughs> gross. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the Camino is kind of the same way, except it's more on a, like an emotional level after walking that distance meeting all these new friends and people and creating this family that you depend on as you walk and, you know, and just people constantly being kind to you as you're visiting, as you're walking through these villages and eating and staying. And it's just a very, very alternate reality to what most people experience in their lives, especially if you're coming from America. So 
everybody kind of has this re-entry shock. And for me, I got hit in the face with one of my direct reports at my job told me she was quitting that week when I came back. And it wasn't a complete surprise, but at the same time, it was like, oh, this is happening and I've got to deal with this. And, you know, and her reasoning was so solid, like she wasn't happy. And it was not with me and not with the work she was doing, but with some of the other situations inside the institution and that kind of stuff. And she was like, I got to do something different. I'm moving from Seattle back to Maryland. And you know, she like made these major life changes. And through watching her do that, after about a month of being back home, I kind of had to look at myself and say, okay, well, what are you doing? Well, why are you doing this? And it really hit me. I went back into the office after the Camino and I showed a friend whose coworker had been you know, close for about four and a half years. She said, how'd your trip go? And I said, oh, it was really great. Let me show you this reel. And I made this 30 second Instagram reel of selfies of all the people that I met along the way. And she watched it. And she handed me back my phone and she said, I've never seen you that happy. And it hit two ways, right? I mean, the first one was like, oh, I'm so glad <laughs> that she sees that, right? That Because that, I was. I was extremely happy. It was extremely in my element. Very content with what was going on around me and just super excited about it. When was the last time you had had that feeling? Wow, that's a great question. Probably when my kids were really young. All my kids are grown. They're all, I have three children. They're all over 25. So probably 20 years ago when they were all under five and under, those were the best times that I remember and being really happy and having a lot of joy because of just being able to be their parent. There's such awesome kids that it was just, I think that's probably the last time, probably about 20 years before. And, you know, hearing that at the same time, I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't want anyone to ever not meet me and see me in that state. You know, I've been working with her for four and a half years and she had never seen me at that level of joy and happiness and contentment. There's a problem, <laughs> you know? And so about a month later, I quit my job, quit my career and decided that I was going to take a career break, get an adult gap year, whatever you want to call it. And decided I was just going to go and do things that made me happy and brought me joy and centered that around my bucket list. So I picked the show back up and just, you know, that was part of it for me was that there's got to be other people out there that are kind of feeling this or seeing this. And so I, I want to go out there and find them and start telling their stories. And so that's what I did. I made a commitment to 52 straight, straight weeks of episodes and, and along with doing some other things for myself. So I started crossing a lot of items off my own bucket list and spent three months traveling through Costa Rica, Spain, Italy, Israel, and the United Kingdom, and just came back from that and just felt this overwhelming sense that, okay, I want to share this with people. And I will, not just through the podcast, but I, ended, I wound up writing a book about it as well. And a lot of that was because what I had found in my journey and my attempt to embrace this bucket list lifestyle was that the piece that I felt like was missing for most people was setting that intention yeah. for that list. So often people have a list where it's, oh, I saw this on Instagram, so all these people are doing it, so I want to go do it, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing about what I try to do with my show, my book, my coaching, whatever it is. I don't want to instill FOMO in other people. 
that is not the intent. The intent is how do I empower, inspire people to go out and figure out what should be on their list and help them accomplish that. How do you distinguish between what uh, creating what some people would say is FOMO content versus sharing an experience in a way that inspires people and motivates them to do the same? So with the podcast, we really start off each episode. There's one guest, one item that they've crossed off. And we really start off, where were you? What was going on in your life before you did this thing? And then why did you want to put this on your list? How did you put it on your list? And after, what was it like crossing it off? And what changed in you? What, what transformation happened in you by doing that thing? So it really kind of focuses in on the experience instead of the thing, right? And that's really what I try to do in my storytelling, even in the editing and the asking of the questions of really being intentional about how did this impact you? We're not just doing things so that we can post a picture to Instagram. I saw this horrifying statistic a couple months ago where it said 67% of millennials or something like that. And somebody will fact check me. That's fine. But like 60 some percent of millennials would not go to a foreign location if they could not post the pictures on Instagram. Wow. <laughs> and so, so like for me, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, yes, it's fun to do that. But at the same time, that's not the intent, right? The, and so, you know, to answer your question, honestly, I feel like I'm very held back in my space of being a thought leader in this space because I don't have all those images of me in a hot air balloon over Cappadocia or hiking up the hill of Machu Picchu or standing at sunrise at Angkor Wat. I don't have those pictures. Some of those things I'd like to do, but at the same time, if that's what you're looking for, then what I have to offer probably isn't going to hit because what I'm talking about is what's your why? Why are you doing this? For me, my intention overall for my list is to create community, whether that's enhance existing community or foster new community. That's what my bucket list items kind of focus on. And so in my book, that's the first chapter. Let's set your intention. What is your intention? What are possibilities of what could be your intention? Because if you set your intention, then you can use it to create the list. Where did this sort of this way of thinking, this way of seeing the world, this importance on community, this curiosity to find your why, where does that drive come from in you? Like, inspired by someone or is it your life experiences? Like how did that start to come alive for you? If we're focusing on the community aspect, I think that that's driven by my parents a little bit. Okay. My mom would have been considered back in the seventies, eighties as the preeminent hostess. Okay. Like they would have big parties and my mom would go all out and you know, the house had to be completely clean and you know, she created community through those parties. My dad was a salesman, traveled a lot, but he was really good. And not because he was swarmy or slimy as a salesperson, but he really invested time into listening to people and hearing them 
And so not to use that against them, but to use that to enhance the relationships. Sure. Yeah. So when we lived in New York for three years, when my dad left the territory there to come back to Indiana, because my mom told him that she and the kids were moving back to Indiana. If he wanted to take the job, that was fine. <laughs> if he didn't, that was okay too. <laughs> but when my dad left that territory within a year, they had to hire four people to cover all the, the ground that my dad covered. I mean, he was just really good at what he did. And that was in most part because I think he created a community amongst his dealers and the people that he dealt with. And those relationships were strong and people stuck with him and because he was good at building that community, building relationships. So I think that's a large part of it. I think my whole adult life, I've always been in the community and building community, whether that's when I worked for churches or when I started a nonprofit of my own or went into education full-time. You know, I mean, I've always looked at it as though if we don't have some kind of relationship that's built on authenticity, then it's not going to produce the fruit that we want, what, both sides of the, of the aisle. So to me, community is really strong. Like for you, when you, when you and your partner go on the, on the Camino, you're going to meet tons of people, right? You're going to meet people from all over the world. And that's a great feeling. And I met some people when I did this as well. And some of them, you know, quite frankly, were like, well, I'm, I'm good here and we can be friends here, but when we all go home, you know, it's ethereal, right? This this experience on the Camino is ethereal. And for me, I couldn't accept that. I mean, I can. I can't accept it from other people, but I can't accept it for myself. <laughs> yeah. So that was three months that I spent in Europe. The itinerary for where I went, where I stayed, the places that I visited, all centered around reconnecting with people that I had met on the Camino. I think I- That's great. Like 24, 26 people in those three months that I went back and, you know, visited with. So there were like 10 in Costa Rica. Like we, my partner and I went to Costa Rica together and then she flew home and I flew to Spain. But we went so that I could crash a wedding because that was on my bucket list. Oh, yeah. I saw that on your site. Yeah. Yeah. And it just happens that that, that wedding was a destination wedding. And some friends that we met on the Camino that were engaged at the time, six months later, getting married. And they were having this destination wedding. And yeah, you, there's two episodes about it on my podcast. <laughs> one is one is them talking about hosting a destination wedding. And then we turned the tables for the second episode and they interviewed me about crashing their wedding. Oh, that's fun. And so the real story goes, we were on the Camino walking and they were talking about their wedding and how it was going to be this small 50 person you know, event. And I said, well, it'd be funny if we all just showed up and crashed the wedding. And the bride was like, oh, ha, ha, that's silly. And it happened that that group of people finished in Santiago a couple of days before me. They had a party. She got a little tipsy and she made invitations to everybody to <laughs> come to the wedding. Oh, wow. I was not there to get my invitation. So a couple of months we get back from the Camino and I start messaging folks and saying, hey, we're going to crash this wedding. And crickets like nobody said anything and someone finally said yeah we all got invited <laughs> and i was no, like oh funny. oh it's on now i'm <laughs> crashing that way you know 
So, so yeah, we went down there. My partner and I spent a week together before I went off for three months and enjoyed each other and time and did some things in Costa Rica together that were fun and amazing. And then we, the Saturday before we left, we crashed that wedding. And so cool. The bride and groom absolutely, just absolutely <laughs> were stunned and elated. The bride told me, she said that was the best gift we got all weekend was you two showing up. And so, you know, that to me is what's valuable, right? Even on the Camino keep going back to it but but it was very foundational like i there were almost a week where i had to like some days i took a taxi from one city to the next okay some days i walked some and then took a taxi and for traditionalists that's like a no-no like you didn't really do the camino (laughs) and towards the end i was talking to some people and they were asking me about it and i said you know what i said what those taxis have allowed me to do is to maintain these relationships because if I stayed and didn't walk, you know, and healed, you all would be five stages ahead of me and you'd be gone. I wouldn't have been able to maintain those relationships. So I'll sacrifice the being able to say I walked the full Camino. Although if you walk 100 kilometers, you get a certificate. So, and I did. I walked the last seven days straight. So okay. I got the certificate that said I completed it. But yeah, so when I talk about it, I don't say I walked the Camino. I say I did the Camino, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that so that traditionalists don't like freak out, you know, throw eggs at me and stuff. But but yeah, for me, it was super important to maintain those relationships. And so yeah, I'll take a taxi. You know, I, I had tendonitis, you know, bad knee twist, and I was just like, yeah, I'll do that. And it was great because I would sit in the you know in the town square. Or, right where the Camino would come into town and I would be there to greet everybody and have Cokes ready and, you know, and say, hey, there's an albergue (laughs) over here, there's an albergue over there, you know. I mean, it was a lot of fun for me. I was still a part of the community and that's what mattered most. Has that always been something that's been top of mind for you? Because this theme and this thread of authenticity, authentic relationships, maintaining connections is something, you know, you've continuously talked about. and, And I'm curious if that's always been something that's important for you? I would say yes and yes. I always haven't been the best at it. I mean, I'd be the first person, you know, just because I can talk about it real nice doesn't mean I'm always the best at doing it. I'm a human and I fail. Sure, yeah. So, but I think that goes back to my dad. And you can also throw storytelling into that. Yeah. (laughs) So when I was younger, I was about 10 or 11 years old, my dad would be gone for like a week or two weeks at a time. Because he would leave New York, drive up to Maine, and then drive back. And, you know, so he was gone a lot. And so whenever he would come home, I would always try to find ways to connect with him. It was very hard to connect with my dad. And one of the ways I tried to do that was say, hey, dad, you want to go see this movie? Like, E.T.'s out. Let's go see E.T. Or, you know, Empire's out. Let's go see Empire. Whatever it is. And very commonly, his response is, well, I saw that last week while I was traveling. And I would be super disappointed. <laughs> we didn't have a lot of money, so it wasn't like, you know, he'd say, oh, let's go see it again, right? You know, it would be just like, yeah, I've already seen that. And that was super disappointing to me. Later on in life, he and I got very close and before he passed. And I asked him one time, I said, you know, this kind of really hurt my feelings <laughs> that you would do this. And he said, well, you're old enough now, I can tell you. He said, he said I, I worked in the construction industry. And when those people got done with the end of the day, they wanted to go to a bar. They wanted to go to a strip club. They wanted to go to these places 
that I didn't really want to be in or situations I didn't really want to be in because I love your mom so much. I never wanted to put myself in a place where something, you know, I could make a mistake. Holy crud, did I feel like a jerk. <laughs> you know, I mean, and that's who my dad was. He wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And he had a lot of flaws and he had, a, he, but he also had a rough childhood, but he was pretty honest guy for the most part and very authentic. And when he said something, he meant it. And when he did something, he did it. And so that's always been a, a good goals for me to try to achieve. I haven't always met them for sure, but, but that was definitely a good model of, being real. Same thing with his friendships. He had a friend from elementary school that he had known, you know, practically his whole entire life and they were good friends and his friend always wasn't the best friend back to him. And for me, that was something that I aspired to. I wanted to have friends. So I have a friend that I've known nearly 40 years now that we're still in contact, that we still, I mean, real contact. Like we call each other two or three times a week. Like <laughs> his daughter one time said, you guys are like, you know, teenage girls. You talk on the phone all the time, but, <laughs> but it's, you know, I mean, that relationship's authentic to me. We're, we're very two different people, but we have invested in each other in such a way that we love and empathize with each other and that relationship matters. And so we'll do what it takes to maintain it. Even when you know, I was in California and he was in Germany or, you know, whatever it was, we maintained that. And so being authentic and having that community was always been very important to me. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's a very touching story. And, and I think a lot of the folks listening or the listener can relate, especially the males listening, because I, I, relate directly to that because I think about this connection I have with my dad and how strict he was growing up. And even this recent experience I had with the the men's, uh, I wouldn't even call it a retreat. It was like a men's gathering because it wasn't, it wasn't like we were all sitting there getting massages. It was like <laughs> we were doing some serious work there. And I think some of the things that came up for me is my relationship with my father. And so I'm going to make another conscious effort as when I go back for, I'm going there for a conference back to New York at the end of this month in June, and then going to go see my folks in Yonkers after the conference. So I'm going to spend time like going out for a walk, holding my mom's hand. And, you know, let's like she used to do for me <laughs> when I was younger and, and really focused one-on-one -on -one time. And then do the same with my dad. He's probably going to want to go on a bike ride or something that we've used to do in the past. And, you know, dads always find that way to connect in a way that they're comfortable with. And he's an immigrant. So, you know, I, I'm technically an immigrant as well. I came to the States when I was a year old from El Salvador. But, you know, so some of that is, uh, you know, challenging from a cultural perspective. But I think there's something, and I applaud you for taking the initiative to ask a tough question, especially and as you get older, I think you sort of want to not rock the boat. And, you know, if you have a relationship, you don't want to put any strains on it. So, you know, kudos to you for just, you know, going maybe outside of your comfort zone to ask a tough question like that to your father. And you never want to, you never want to see your father a father figure in an uncomfortable situation where they're forced to answer a question that may be uncomfortable for them. So that was great to hear that turned out well. Well, we had a rough ride the first 32 years. <laughs> so, And there was a specific occasion where all that kind of came to a head and we dealt with it. And I think the biggest thing for me was to be able to have that kind of relationship with my father was I had to learn how to have empathy for my dad. That's awesome. And it's very, very difficult to do because 
the person you want to teach you to have empathy is your parent and they can't really say, Hey, could you have empathy for me? <laughs> you know, it doesn't really fly when you're 10 or it doesn't really fly when you're 18 or it doesn't really fly when you're 25. And but so you have to figure that out. How do I have empathy? You know, my dad had a rough childhood and that was one of the reasons why it was very hard for him to connect with me as a child or even as a teenager and into my twenties. And when I started understanding that and having that empathy, which I think our whole entire planet needs a whole lot more of that, that when I understood that, when I understood the, the empathy that I had for my dad, our relationship completely changed. Uh, you know, I, I'm very lucky as a guy to have lots of really solid male friendships. A lot of men don't have that. And my dad really, not that he went out and hung out with us and did the things that we did together, but he was a part of that group in a way from the fact that he was in my top five of men that I would want to go to, to say, and we had a very honest relationship and, you know, kudos to him for, for, you know, cause it was, yes, I showed him empathy, but man, the bravery that it took for him to, you know, be able to say, this is where I messed up and this is where I fell short, or this is what you don't understand. And to be able to say those things to me as another adult, took a lot of bravery on his part, and I appreciate that. This is related to something I was going to offer up as, as a bucket list item that I've accomplished, which is sitting in an, an ayahuasca session several times. And one of the experiences that I had was very profound is I, you get messages and you know, I don't know how to describe them from source uh, or wherever you think they're from, but, <laughs> but essentially the message was, I saw the moment when I selected my parents. Wow. And I saw that I selected my mother and my father in this specific incarnation so that I could work through a specific set of challenges in this incarnation as a human, which has, I've come to just affirm through other experiences that I've had. So it was really powerful. And then right after that, I saw my dad and I saw him almost like a teenager and I kind of envisioned him walking the streets of El Salvador. And then the message, the second message came through, said, you and your father, you've always been connected. Sometimes you're the father, sometimes he's the father, sometimes your brothers, sometimes your cousins. And you always have this dance, you know, in lifetimes. And that hit me like, like a gut punch, but in a way that I just, it was almost like an empathy gut punch because I was like, whoa, I get it now. And I, just, I was bawling for like 15 minutes, like just understanding and it, everything just kind of clicked in and made sense. And I just saw my father, you know, something you just alluded to, just completely different light. And I just seeing him as a, as a teenager, seeing him understanding, you know, as a child, you know, and, and understanding like the decisions he's had to make and, you know, some good, some bad, some challenging that affected our family. And, you know, I, it was just, it's been helpful for me and, and it's been, you know, healing for me to understand, you know, some of the things that have happened and, and also to motivate me to continue to work on that relationship, you know, because I do want to, you know, get him to talk more because he's, you know, as, as a lot of dads of that generation are, they're just really reserved and quiet to keep to themselves. And so it takes more work, but uh, it's inspiring to know that, that there are opportunities for breakthrough, which is something I'm, I'm motivated to keep on trying. It's awesome. Yeah. So much to cover. I, I'm trying to figure out you know, how deep I want to go. I'm just curious. You mentioned this work you do with youth development. I'm wondering how you came across that work and why that's important for you. Yeah, I actually still substitute teach every couple of days uh, just to help out and to be still hanging out with students, but also to help teachers because their job really sucks right now. So for me, I think a lot of it had to do with that. I was a really bad student, but I was smart. Okay. Like I could have done the work had I been motivated properly or 
had somebody that was kind or understanding or encouraging. I just never really had that growing up. My dad was always gone. So it wasn't like he was there to support me. And when he was there, it was like, spend three hours doing homework. Like that'll help, you know, <laughs> it's not, not going to help. Yeah. It was funny because I graduated with, from high school with a 1.96 GPA average. Okay. And then I went to college for a semester and, and quit. And then I didn't go back till I was 40. Wow. And when I went back my first semester, I had a straight A's. And my dad said, look at that. You doubled your GPA. <laughs> <laughs> it was a joke. I knew it was a joke. But it, was, it hurt a little bit. But at the same time, I knew it was a joke. But he was proud of me. But, but yeah, but I think a lot of it had to do with not having those kind of good influences of people that could see me for me and help me, you know, be who I needed to be instead of being in some kind of box. And so I just, I wanted to be able to provide that for other people and for other young people. And so that's kind of where, you know, a lot of it hit was that I want to do better for this generation than was done for me, which I think we should always want to do. Absolutely. And so, and I've had hiccups and, you know, there was a huge learning curve coming from Indianapolis to Seattle. You know, I had to learn to use people's preferred pronouns, which was very difficult for me. (laughs) Not because I didn't want to, but just because I just wasn't accustomed to it. And Yeah, it's new. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things like that that I had to relearn or learn learn anew to be able to do the same kind of work in this environment that I was doing before. But it was worth it. I enjoyed the fact that I have... Several young people that I worked with over the years that now have their own families and and have their own careers and their own jobs. And we still keep in contact. And, you know, it's like you were talking about your dad. You know, I've I've had one relationship where we've gone from being mentors to, you know, me being his boss to, you know, us being friends, you know, and peers. And, you know, we've kind of, you know, even though there's probably a 15, 16 year difference between our ages, it's been nice to watch that relationship grow. It doesn't happen with every single student that I've worked with, but if I'm lucky if I you know keep one or two of those relationships over time, and that's been super special for me that I have been able to speak into young people's lives and make a difference. And now I'm just trying to transfer a lot of those skills from that into what I'm doing now. So storytelling has always been a big part of the work that I've done with young people, whether it was working at a church telling stories or working in a school, you know, telling history stories or whatever it was. Storytelling is important and helping people find where they are in that story, even though it's not about them. It's a real skill that I think is important when you're trying to mentor or teach. And so I've just been transferring a lot of those skills to this new job or this new career that I've taken on as far as being a podcaster. And that's been a lot of fun. You know, that's part of the reason I wrote the book. It's called live out your list, finding joy through a bucket list lifestyle. And, you know, I never intend, I have some books I want to write. That was not one of them. (laughs) (laughs) And after I came back for my three months, I'm like, there's something here that this thing about intentional, having an intention for your bucket list, that was something I hadn't seen in the space before. So I'm like, "I, I think I have something new. So I'll write this. And it was super easy to write. The other things that I'm writing are not super easy to write. But that was like, oh, I just put on my teacher's hat and I go. <laughs> you know, it's, Very cool. Break it all down and make it easy for people to understand and give them steps to follow and it'll be fine. So a lot of those things that I've super enjoyed about working with young people have transferred into this new adventure. That's great. I mean, 
young men need as many role models as they can possibly find. And I think what was been apparent to me for myself on my own journey and also through some of the personal work I've done, events like the retreat we, we've spoken about, is this idea of, you know, there is no rite of passage anymore for, for young men. And, you know, and it's really what's missing. And this idea of just moving from a boy into a man in a ceremonial fashion and in a way that embraces, you know, the change that's happening for them to become men and the added responsibility and what that means and how you show up in the world for the people in your life, the partners in your life, your family as a man. And I think, you know, a lot of that has been lost uh, over the, the decades. And it's nice to see programs and conversations like this, you know, that are happening to make that more apparent. And it's something that I'm going to be conscious of for, you know, hopefully have, looking to start a family with my partner and also my the relationships I have with my nephews. If I can impart any of that wisdom, it's definitely something that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be trying to do. So it's good to see. And it's just it's more of that is needed. So I really applaud all the work you've done in, in that field as well. Thanks. A couple of questions as we wrap up. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? <laughs> Using Instagram to grow my show. <laughs> How's that been going? It's really crappy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's just a general sense that, you know, you have to you have to be on social media. You have to be on all the platforms. You have to do you do all this, that. And the reality is unless you're Dwayne the Rock Johnson and have forty million followers. You know, there's not a lot you can do to help yourself out. And people put so much time and energy into it, especially as, as an independent podcaster. And I don't have, you know, a team of folks doing all my social media. So really deciding, you know, yes, I'll still post there when I have new episodes and that kind of stuff. But there isn't a good transfer of ROI, you know, into putting a lot of time and space there. I've had videos I've had a real good hit 3.2 million views. You know, I have 6,000 followers on Instagram and, you know, all the metrics show that nobody leaves there and goes to a podcast, right? Well, I think what it boils down to is that people stay on the platform that they're on and they don't switch in the middle. You know, if you're scrolling through stories, you're scroll you're there to scroll through stories. You're not there to like find some content and click on a link and go someplace else. That's not what you're there to do. You go spend an hour listening to a podcast. <laughs> That's right. You're there to scroll through your stories. You have a mission to scroll through your stories. So even you know, stories is the only place you can put a link if you're not cert verified. So, you know, if and if they're scrolling through stories, they're not gonna click on that link. I mean, I have all the evidence in the world that says I do not click get click-throughs where I put links on there. And that's the only place I can put links on Instagram with less than 10,000 followers. So, you know, yeah. and also the, the other fact that the reality is, is that they admit to throttling back, you know, how many people get to see your content. Yeah, of course. So why do I, you know, I said to somebody the other day, I am no longer going to chase the dragon and I don't want to belittle heroin addiction at any, at any level. But at the same time, I think that's kind of what it feels like. I'm always chasing the dragon. I'm always. Oh, sure. The dopamine hit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not, but on the creator side, it's more of what's the algorithm going to do today? How's the algorithm going to work now? Because every four to six months, they change how the algorithm works. Of course. Yeah. They change what you're able to do. They, you know, today, you know, the big thing is everybody's putting a broadcast channel out on Instagram. And it's like, okay, one more thing I have to go try to do to get this to work. And it just feels like I'm constantly, sorry, chasing the dragon. And I'm kind of tired of that. You know, the, there are much better ways to grow a podcast and 
what I'm doing right now is one of them, uh, honestly, and getting people to leave reviews so that you rank higher in the algorithm of the, the streamers. Those are the two best things to do. Yeah, absolutely. And so you might as well spend your time doing those instead of chasing the dragon. That makes a lot of sense. What do you think is the most misunderstood thing about you? I think the biggest misperception is that I'm aloof. I think sometimes people I know, I was actually in a New York Times, but named in a New York Times bestseller last month as being somebody that's aloof, that, that wasn't understanding of their surroundings. Oh, interesting. And that was very, very revealing to me. Because I don't necessarily think I'm aloof or don't know what's going on. I think I'm spending less time talking and more time observing. <laughs> I'm a huge Ted Lasso fan. Yeah, me too. And so the uh, be curious, not judgmental Walt Whitman thing, I mean, it has stuck with me from that day. It's like I constantly, you know, I look at my partner going, are you being judgmental or are you being curious? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they can't exist in the same space, which is great. Yeah, they yeah. really can't. Yeah. And so I think I'm trying to be curious more than being aloof or, or or not understanding what's going on. And so that's probably one of the bigger ones because yeah, just you know, it's weird to say that that because you know, we're here talking for an hour plus, and yeah, <laughs> there's been very few lags in the conversation. But but when I'm out and about or meeting new people, I do. You know, I think it's one of the reasons why, for me, I enjoy podcasting so much is because I am a naturally curious person. We go back to the very beginning. I didn't know anything about podcasting. So I went to a good friend of mine who does listen to, you know, 12, 13 podcasts, if that few, a, a week. And I said, here's my idea. What do you think? And he said, oh, that'll work. And I said, why? He said, because I've actually been in your presence when you've met new people and gotten them to tell you their story. Oh, nice. He said, as long as you keep doing that, you'll be, it's going to work. And so my hope is, is that I project that all the time, (laughs) that it's not about me. It's about other people. And I'm I'm like my dad, I'm listening real close and and trying to know, know what to remember about folks. And so I can be able to, you know, assure them later on that I was listening and that I care. And so, yeah. I think that would be the biggest thing. Yeah, it's important. And I think anyone who's been paying attention throughout this conversation, I think will get that uh, impression from you that you're someone that has lived a long and meaningful life and has taken a, a hard look at what the important things are and you know what you want you know, the memory of your life to, to look like. And not only thinking about those things, but also actively doing stuff to make a change. And I think that's where a lot of people fall short because they do have all these hopes and dreams. And, you know, I I heard recently uh, someone that I know, their father passed away and he was getting ready for quote unquote retirement, you know, and he had a heart attack and passed away. And he mentioned this as like on his deathbed. and, And I think that happens all too often. And so I really applaud the energy of, you know, what's happening with your show and, and probably how it's inspiring people to take a closer look at that bucket list. It's doing it, that for me. So it's already, you know, reminding me of things that we just keep putting off. And I've had a lot of amazing experiences in my life and traveled a lot. And But there's still more things to do. And so I'm inspired by this conversation and inspired by your show and definitely going to be recommending it to folks as something to listen to. So I really appreciate you reaching out, Roger, which is my younger brother's name as well, by the way. So, <laughs> And uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I had a feeling it was going to be a good one. And I really love the fact that you shared your story with us today. 
Uh, Harry, I greatly appreciate the opportunity to be here with you, and I hope people are inspired. That's you know, that's the main reason I do everything I do. So if, if this conversation does it, listen to the podcast, does it, whatever it is, I just want folks to get out there and find their own joy. That's awesome. Where's the best place for folks to connect with you? Yeah, it's crossingitoffpodcast.com. Real simple. Uh, you can see all the shows. You can get to know me. You can find my mentoring services. You can find the links to the book, everything there. So it's super simple. Okay, we'll make sure all those links are included in the show notes as well. Thanks again for your time, Roger. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Harry. Thanks again to Roger for coming on the show and sharing his truly inspiring story. It really inspired me with what he shared personally and how it got me thinking about the things that I want to get accomplished in my lifetime and to stop making excuses and to get those done and to do those sooner rather than later. So that was a pretty good wake-up call for me, which I appreciate anytime I have these types of conversations. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Check out his fantastic collection at cedarsoil.com. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Focusrite, and their awesome line of gear, specifically the Vocaster. Check out the full lineup at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Vocaster. Podcast production and marketing provided by Focast. Learn more about how a podcast can be beneficial for you and or your brand at Focast.co. Tune in next week for my conversation with Ben Albert of Real Business Connections Podcast. Ben is a master marketer. We have a fantastic really deep dive into all things podcasting and marketing. You're going to get a lot of value from this episode, so you'll make sure to have your pen and paper handy. He's uh, really entertaining as well, so you're going to have a lot of fun with that episode. If you've made it this far, you're no doubt looking for this week's retention hashtag. Roger's not on Twitter, so let's just go with hashtag Crosser Offer, which is his Twitter handle. So C-R-O-S-S-E-R, Crosser Offer, O-F-F-E-R. And tag us at podcast underscore chunkies if you do. Thanks for all you do to support the show. Talk to you next week.